There are forces that move about this world, sensed, but unseen. There are creatures and entities just outside of our grasp. So join us as we delve into these mysteries. Join us on our journey through the paranormal. And if you're just lucky enough, and you listen close enough, you just may hear Whispers Through through the the Veil. Hello and welcome to Whispers Through the Veil. We are a podcast where we talk about all things spooky and paranormal. My name is Jordan. Hi, and I'm Paige. Got a good one for you today. We're getting right back to uh, ghost stories. We're going to be talking about the Bell Witch and the Hannah House hauntings. Uh, Before we start, though, just want to uh, say thank you for listening, and we apologize for the long delay there. 2023 continues to be kind of (laughs) interesting year for us, and uh, it's been a little bit difficult to find time lately, but we're back into it, and we're going to try our best to get another one out this month. And also, something's pretty cool. This should be the first episode where you hear our actual intro. So that's fun. Uh, it's a little bit cheesy, but we're but pretty so proud are we. of it. Yeah, so, so are we. it's okay. Jordan actually wrote the intro, and then I did the music part. So yeah. it was truly a 50-50 collab. Team effort. Uh, I think it's a little bit rude that you guys were just making fun of it because we're really proud of it, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah, they probably were. I played it for one person um, like before we put it on this and he was like laughing at it. <laughs> I was like, I know it's cheesy, but yeah. I love it anyway. It fits. It does. Um, and yeah, we're sorry for the break. We actually took some of the time that we had off to take some feedback from some of you who reached out to us. So some people suggested that we need an intro. So we came up with an intro. Some people suggested they wanted to hear more of our personal theories about things. So we're going to include more of that today. Some people said that they wanted us to get back to ghosts because we've been spending a lot of time on aliens. So we're doing that. And I'm excited to talk about that today. We're like, Gonna have a little bit of Midwestern folklore and ghosts on today's episode. Yeah, a little bit. So I have for you today the story of the Bell Witch Haunting. Uh, this is a pretty, pretty famous haunting that took place uh, around the 1800s in uh, rural Tennessee. So. It started when John Bell moved his family from North Carolina to Tennessee uh, with his wife Lucy and their six kids. So at the time, there wasn't really there wasn't really much going on in the area that they moved to. It was a place called Robinson County, and they kind of they worked to help build up the settlement. And John Bell quickly gained a reputation for being generous, uh, good for working with good with working with others, uh, willing to help people, willing to give anybody a meal. And he, the first thing he did, I think he got like 320 acres of land and he cleared a bunch of trees off of it and built a cabin right along the Red uh, River. And that was kind of like a big focal point for the town, a hub. So the family had a lot of friends. They would see people every day and they became pretty popular. And they had three more kids when they were living there. So they had a total of uh, nine kids, I think. 
holy crap, that's a lot of kids. But I yeah. mean, I guess back then you need people to work the farm. You did. And they they pretty much took about 13 years they lived there. And things got pretty settled. But this is uh, about where it began. Uh, there was an incident that John Bell, he said at the time he more or less overlooked it, but he decided that that was where it began. He was walking through his fields alone, and he saw a large dog in one of the cornfields, and said the dog looked off. Uh, it looked like it was all kinds of weird angles. He said it looked like it had bones that had been broken and reset uh, wrong, and it was way too big, and it was staring at John in what he described as a human way. And he was very... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say... Wouldn't they normally think that that was like rabies or something back then? Maybe. Uh, it, it was just sitting and staring. I think rabies, like uh, the animals tend to come towards you a little bit more. Oh, okay. But, yeah, I guess they acted weird. But I don't know. Everything They were so scared of rabies back in the day, rightfully so, that that's kind of what came to mind when you're describing it. Rabies, a little side note, rabies is a terrifying disease. Uh, and uh, if you get to the point where you have symptoms of rabies, like you're already dead as a 100% fatality rate. So that's why, like, if you're suspected of getting rabies, like you immediately have to get the shot. But it, uh, look it up if you got a minute, because if that's a whole other thing in itself. It's just it is absolutely awful. But this uh, this big black dog was staring at John, the old crooked, weird shaped dog, and he was he was very unsettled by it. And he had his rifle with him, so he, he fired at it, but it ran. And he went over to inspect where the dog had been sitting, but there was no sign that it had been there. The corn wasn't disturbed. The grass wasn't disturbed. There was no tracks away from it. There was no tracks leading up to the spot. And at the time, he kind of wrote it off. He's like, okay, it, it was just a weird dog. I shot at it. I missed. What of it? Now, this was 1817 in America in the rural south, and John Bell was a landowner. He had slaves. There, there's no real way around that. But the family began seeing lots of strange animals on the farm, and so did the enslaved people who were there. Uh, they said lots of, lots of strange animals would pass through all kinds of weird shapes, animals that they couldn't quite make out what the animal was. One of them was reported as a large black dog, but it had the head of a rabbit. And one of the enslaved people reported that he would frequently see a large black dog that would try to attack him. And uh, a lot of the other uh, workers, enslaved workers, uh, began having things happen to them, tools getting misplaced, they're getting locked out of buildings, things just disappearing. But one of the big things is they started seeing lights in the woods that they called dead man's candles. It looked like candlelight was just like people with candles were walking in the woods and they would get like disturbingly close to the property, but never, they never actually found out where the candle, where the light was coming from. 
Okay, that's interesting because a lot of people say that demonic activity is signaled with lights like that. Really? Um, that's kind of a folkloric thing. Yeah. I remember when we were investigating um, Central State, downtown Indianapolis, before they made it into um, apartments, there were lights in the windows and people, like, as we did research into it, a lot of people saw those and that's kind of like a hallmark of demonic activity. Also, the black dogs, very highly affiliated with the underworld, the dead. I've heard um, that, yeah. I didn't lots know that. Of, a lots of Catholic gods have black dogs. Like you think about Cerberus, he's a black dog. Hecate, black dogs are a harbinger of death and doom usually in folklore. So that's interesting. Yeah, so big old crooked black dogs are uh, never, never a good thing, huh? Not probably for these people, especially if they're owning human beings. Yeah. Well, soon after this whole incident with John seeing the black dogs and the slaves seeing the weird animals, uh, the family started hearing a lot of strange knocking sounds on the inside of the house. Uh, whenever they went to check, it stopped and it would show up on the opposite side of the house. It, it was like someone was walking around the outside of the house and knocking on the walls. John at first was convinced that this was like a prankster or, or someone in the in in the town just messing with him. Uh, so he told his family, he's like, don't say anything to anybody because I don't want them to know we're on to him and we're going to catch him. But the tapping continued for weeks, the tapping and knocking, and John could never find anyone outside. He would lay in wait and run outside, never found anyone, never found any evidence of people when he would be looking around. So it was just like phantom knockings all the time. Knocking is also a sign of the devil, just FYI. Mm -hmm. I, I hear like it typically it like comes in threes too, and that's... uh. From what I remember, it, it's sort of like a, a mocking of the Trinity or something like that. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. Yeah. So along with the knocking, uh, John's sons one night started to wake up to the sound of what they thought was gnawing on their bedpost. They thought it was a rat. But when they got up to check it out, the sound stopped and there was no evidence of gnawing. So again, it's just one of those weird things that they kind of they kind of wrote it off and they went back to bed. But the exact second that they got back in the bed, the gnawing came back and it came back louder and faster. And they got up to check again, and still there was no evidence. This went on for about three nights until on the third night it didn't stop. I know what you're thinking. It got worse. On the third night. Along with all the gnawing, they heard what sounded like someone gasping for air under their bread. It's under their bed. It sounded like choking. And they searched and found nothing. And they actually woke up their whole family because of how scared they were. And the whole family got in on it and searched the entire house and like the immediate property and found nothing. But as like I said, as soon as they got back into bed, it started happening again. Now, at this point, the family had not mentioned to anything to anyone in town because they wanted to catch the person and they didn't want to let them know they're on to him. And also, like, there was kind of the 
the angle that they didn't want to be ridiculed, kind of like started making fun of them. But as all this is going on, keep in mind, like all the stuff I'm talking about never actually stops over the course of this story. It just keeps building and building. They started hearing a disembodied voice and it would actually like talk to the members of the family. It called itself Kate and it said its purpose was to come here and to kill John Bell. Oh, hell no. That's freaky that they can actually hear it. Whatever it is must have been pretty powerful to manifest in like audible disembodied voice. Yeah, and to be actually able to like talk with them and communicate and stuff. It's pretty crazy. Uh, John confided in a neighbor about the phenomena finally, and the neighbor believed him. And he offered to stay and stay the night at their house and see if he could hear the sounds. And sure enough, when he came, he heard all the sounds. He heard the knocking. He heard the uh, gnawing on the bedpost sound. He heard the gasping for air. And he was actually like so scared that he went home in the middle of the night. But uh, after that, the story got around the town pretty fast. But one of the cool things is um, instead of ridiculing them, the town kind of like rallied around the Bell family because they because they had had this reputation for being generous. They'd had this reputation for being helpful and friendly. And they, they're pretty much friends of the whole town. So the whole town got together and say, like, we will try to help you out. And people would volunteer to spend the night with them from time to time. And they hoped it would make the Bells feel better, you know, like you have someone from outside of your immediate family with you there. And they hoped that maybe the presence of others would uh, scare off whatever forces was creating this. But uh, every night, everyone who chose to stay heard all the noises and they never died down and the voice continued talking to people and screaming at people and occasionally it would actually like have conversations with people um and it started like it just antagonizing john bell and it called him uh, old sugar lips was uh the name it came up with him <laughs> That's a brilliant insult. Old sugar lips. Is yeah. that like maybe like slamming him for having chapped lips? It looks like there's sugar on your lips. Hell, maybe. I'm sure that was like the sickest burn possible in 1817. <laughs> Can we bring that one back? Call people old sugar lips. Like, what's up, sugar lips? Get out of here with your sugar looking lips. Old sugar lips ass over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> Continue. Yeah. But uh, the town, the townsfolk, they they were trying to figure out what was going on, and a lot of them had ideas on what it could be, uh, ranging from it maybe being the youngest daughter faking it to uh, a family in the town who hated them, or someone who was pranking them, or even somebody brought up uh, ventriloquism, but. The other people searched the house, everyone in the town, like no one ever found anything. They even went so far as to have uh, people watch over members of the Bell family while they were sleeping to make sure that they weren't the ones who were doing it, that it wasn't just a big hoax. And when they would search, you know, they would make sure that the Bells were with them. So it's everybody who's looking into this and nobody can figure out what's going on. And around this time, John started 
being affected a lot more. And he he had like a pretty friendly personality, but he started being seen around the town and he would start, you know, zoning out. He'd be in the middle of a conversation with somebody and he would just his jaw would go slack, his eyes would twitch, and he would his eyes would be blinking out of sync, they said. And he would just leave without staring any, uh, without saying anything. And he would frequently, he would just go home in the middle of the day and he would sit on his bed and stare at the wall for hours without eating, without sleeping, without moving or talking to anybody. I mean, I do that sometimes. So <laughs> <laughs> I get it. No, that is weird. Your eyes blinking out of sync. That's really weird. Uh-huh. Uh, other than John, though, like one of the the other members of the family, his daughter Betsy seemed to be getting like the second biggest target of the phenomena. Uh, Betsy would experience pains like she was being slapped or she was being stabbed. Um, and it went on like she she couldn't sleep like because she was being hurt and she was just frightened. And her parents thought that maybe sending her to stay with a neighbor for a while might help. So she she went and stayed with one of their neighbors. And at first it seemed okay. They went throughout the day fine. But as they were getting ready to go to bed, there was a breeze went through the house and put out all the candles at the same time. And they heard the sound of the front door slam open. But uh, they got another candle lit up, and the door was closed. And then the voice appeared, and it spoke to Betsy. And it said, Betsy, you should not have come over here. You know I can follow you anywhere. Now get a good night's sleep. Ooh. Yeah. That's creepy. Betsy needs to follow the advice of the ghost, I guess. I don't know. Following you to a different house—that's mm-hmm. that's not ghost activity, by the no. way. That, that's some sort of like real malicious entity. Yeah. What's weird about it though is it wasn't just a hundred percent maliciousness. Like, at least with Betsy, the voice would alternate between like attacking her and ridiculing her, and also being like weirdly overprotective and motherly to her. Down to it was like concerned about the way she was eating, uh, it, things about the way she was like dressed, stuff like that, making sure she like followed her Bible studies. But the biggest thing is like she was, uh, it, it broke off her engagement to one of the gentlemen in town because it didn't like the man she was engaged to and would uh, like harass him constantly and enough that they broke it off. That's really weird. I wonder if that ghost was either in love with her or wanted to inhabit her body. Well, maybe, uh, but the voice is uh, the voice is female, and it refers to itself as Kate. And that's not saying that it can't be in love with her, obviously. But I, I guess that that angle just hasn't been discussed. In anything that I've seen could be, but. Uh, Go ahead. Oh, nothing. Keep going. All throughout this time, you know, the voice is constantly talking all the time. It's mimicking the voices of family members. And the more people talk about it and the more 
the the bells reacted to it, the stronger it got to where it, it, it became kind of like a, a phenomena and it got out in the news and it got far away. It even got the attention of President Andrew Jackson. And he owned a little bit of land in Tennessee along the Red River. So he thought, he's like, okay, I'm going to go and check this out. So he gathered up a bunch of his dudes and they, they were going to travel to Tennessee. But before they could get there, they were threatened by an invisible force. And the force stopped their wagon and they couldn't get the wagon to move. And uh, President Jackson and his men heard the voice. And uh, it, it said something, it was like, um, uh, I'll go ahead and let the wagon move now, but I'll see you later, uh, General. And it was talking to the president. And then after it said that, the wagon was able to move again. But one of the people in uh, President Jackson's party was a self-proclaimed witch hunter. And he was, I guess he felt a presence or something one night and he tried to attack it with a pistol and his pistol wouldn't fire. And then he was like struck uh, on the side of the head. And so, you know, it's just... It, it, it's outside of the Bell family at this point. Even the president is involved. And whatever this thing may or may not be, I mean, the president doesn't have skin in the game to be perpetuating a hoax like this, you know? Yeah, I don't think it's false. I think it's definitely got some weight to it, especially if you involve people who have no connection to the Bell family whatsoever. Right. Uh, one of the interesting things, because because the voice referred to itself as Kate, one of the big theories around the town is that uh, one of their neighbors, a woman named Kate Batts, was uh, the perpetrator. And like people around the town started referring to the thing as Kate Batts Witch. And I think that's kind of like where we get the name the Bell Witch from. And they considered Kate Batts unlucky because all of her kids had died young and her husband had become disabled in an accident. And they didn't like her because uh, she used big words. <laughs> you know, uh, we see Satan in long words, right? <laughs> Women shouldn't know any kind of vocabulary other here, than, here. yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, they, they considered her responsible and uh, they 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 just started referring to the thing as Kate or Kate Bat's witch. But uh, she swore on her life she had nothing to do with it. And she the, probably didn't. I mean, what would be her motive? You know, why would she know? be terrorizing? Because she's evil. Is that why? Yeah, she's evil and she's saying words too big. You know, <laughs> okay. Women ought not have learning like that. <laughs> but one of one of the reasons that they also considered her to be partly responsible other than her just being a weirdo is that her husband and John Bell had been feuding. They were one of the only people in the town that didn't really like John Bell. They had gotten into a dispute over uh, a sale of cattle and it was just bad blood from then on. Ah, uh, the classic cattle dispute. It has yeah, been course. the source of many a feud back in the day. 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes someone, you know, fucking stiffs you on a cattle sale and you got to summon a witch on their ass. So <laughs> a witch that has that knows big words. Yeah. Um, but one in eighteen twenty, this had been going on for three years, and the family did their best to live with it. Uh, except for John, who the whole time seemed like he was just his spirit was in the livelihood was getting drained from him. He got worse and worse, and he believed and would frequently talk about how he was being tortured to death. Their daughter, one of their older daughters, Esther, um, most of their kids are grown at this point, and a couple of their daughters and sons are married on their own, but I think they all live on the property because he had 320 acres. But uh, one day, the daughter, Esther, went to get eggs from the chicken coop. And as she was walking up the trail, she heard someone behind her walking. And she turned to see a woman in black with her head down, slowly walking towards her house. And she didn't see her, even though she should have passed by her because there was only one path they were on the road. So she went to the chicken coop. She collected all of her eggs and she came back. And the woman was still out there, still walking towards the house. And at this point, she kind of thinks that she recognizes who it is as a woman from town. So Esther, you know, happily calls out to her in a greeting, but the woman doesn't respond. So Esther got nervous and she was she was following the woman to try to catch up to her and, and have a chat with her. But something was off about the way she was moving and she wasn't responding. So Esther, who had been following her, stopped. As soon as Esther stopped, the woman did too. The woman took her bonnet off and her hair tumbled down. Now she took her hands and she started combing out her hair on her hands with her finger. And Esther again started moving towards the strange woman. But the closer she got, the faster the woman's hands moved until she seemed to be moving impossibly fast, like inhumanly quickly. And Esther then noticed that she wasn't just combing out her hair. She was grabbing chunks of the hair and pulling it out with her hands and uh, said she could literally like hear the hair ripping from the woman's flesh. Yeah. That sounds like some ring type stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's it's pretty crazy. It's pretty spooky. Uh, at that point, she ran past the woman, still not looking at her, and went into her house. And she called out to her sister, one of the sisters who was in the house, and they both went to the window like, hey, come check out this ghost woman. And like they they went to go see it. So they were watching her. She was still out there. She was still pulling out her hair. And Esther made eye contact with her. And the woman instantly froze, just completely stopped moving when they made eye contact. And she slowly, slowly lowered her hands down to her side. And then she made an impossibly quick, jerky turn to the side. And she started walking around the side of the house. So the two women inside the house ran over to their side window 
to try to see where the strange woman was going and they saw her climbing over the fence into their yard and now she had three children with her that were not there before okay so um let me follow this logic you run into the house you want to see this thing and then you run to the side to watch this thing the last thing I want to do is see this woman. I think I would be doing all of my power to not see this woman. So. Okay. Well, <laughs> what's scary. worse? It's like the crazy, the crazy hair pulling ghost woman is out there. What's worse is like you're watching her or you don't see her anymore. I just want to hide under my bed. That's. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if I, I can't see it, is. it's not real. <laughs> yeah. And so know. there are three children. Do these children have black eyes by chance? <laughs> I don't know. That'd be, okay. that'd be a good one. Finish your story. Well, uh, they started walking towards like a uh, grove of trees that they had on the property in their yard. And the woman and the, and the three children, each one by one, climbed up into a tree and got on a branch. And as soon as all of them, all four of them were in the trees, they started like violently swaying around, uh, bending and creaking the trees and trying to get their trees to shake and move. And at this time, Esther's husband walked in the door. He just happened to come home at the time. And they're like, her and her sister are freaking out. They're like, hey, check this shit out. There's like a ghost woman messing with our trees. And he goes over and he cannot see the women or the children, but he can see the trees shaking and flipping out. And so Esther and her husband and her sister are running back and forth and screaming. And finally they, they get the idea that they're going to go outside and confront whatever is happening here. So they run outside into the yard and wouldn't you know it, they're all gone and the trees have stopped shaking. They're all gone. Okay. So that's okay. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know what to say about that. Cause that's wild. It's almost like, um, it's almost like a, like a, a vengeance type thing. Like you were saying, but um, it feels like black eyed children or some sort of, demonic thing to me yeah because like ghosts don't typically do that kind of stuff they don't have the energy to do that kind of stuff no w whatever was happening here i think is like a little bit more serious than just a typical ghost Mm-hmm. yeah one day john and one of his older sons decided to go out on a walk and while they were out there, John kind of, I would say he almost had a seizure. It said his jaw went slack, his eyes rolled into his head, and he fell down and started convulsing. But other than what sounds like just a seizure, they said like his joints started arching. He arched his back in an unnatural way and his bones started creaking. And he was just like writhing around on the ground and like, moving his body in a way that didn't seem natural 
and that happened for a couple minutes. Uh, John's son ran over to him to try to do what he could to help him. And as soon as he touched him, he heard like an unnatural shriek uh, coming from somewhere. They, they, they didn't see what had caused it. But uh, at that point, John snapped out of it and his son noticed that he was like he was crying. And John said, I don't have much time left. So they went home and John went to bed. And the next morning he didn't wake up. He was in a coma. Uh, They ran to try to get some medicine for him. And the, the cabinet where they had stored all their medicine, all the medicine was now missing. And it was replaced by just a bottle with a strange black liquid in it. Eventually, someone got a hold of the doctor. And the doctor came and checked him out the best he could. And he couldn't figure out what was going on. And he suggested that they did need to test that medicine and figure out what it was on some sort of farm animal. And they found a stray cat and gave it to the cat. And the cat died within minutes. John died the next day. Uh, When they discovered his body, the voice could be heard laughing and singing, and it took credit for uh, John's death. It said that they had, that it had killed him with the poison. And the voice actually carried on and could still be heard at John's funeral. Most. Oh my God. What? That is wild. That is so wild. By multiple people too. Yeah. That's one of the things that interests me the most about this is just how many different people, because honestly, this sound like you get a lot of stories from this time period sound like they could be an elaborate hoax or maybe not even that elaborate. People are just fooled a little bit better back then, but so many different people experienced so many different parts of this and investigated it in so many different ways that it's just it's very interesting to me. Like that lends it like a little bit more credence, I guess. Yeah, I would agree. Like the more people that you have verifying this, especially like people back then in the country, maybe were superstitious, but I feel like a lot of them had to be kind of no nonsense for their own survival. Mm -hmm. So they didn't really, I don't think they really had time to sit around and make up stuff like this, you know? Yeah. Well, most of the phenomena pretty much stopped when John died. Uh, People would occasionally report seeing strange lights and hear like a sing-song voice singing, but uh, the vast majority of it just stopped. Uh, The house is gone now, but there's a pretty big cave on the property, and a lot of people think that that is where whatever the force that was tormenting him came from. Uh... Other than that, like, a few people here and there have tried to attribute certain, like, supernatural things to the Bell Witch happening since his death. Uh, One of John's children reported that it came back and uh, for about three days, like, just talked mad shit to him about, like, the things that had happened, about uh, things that it shouldn't know and things in the future. And then it claimed that it would come back in 107 years and torment John Bell's last living 
direct descendant, or not last living, but most direct descendant. That would have been the year 1935. And as far as we know, uh, no no researchers have found anybody claiming around that time to have been tormented by the Bell Witch. But like I said, certain things do get attributed to it. And I think just because it's a popular story, like uh, the Hopskinville Goblins case, at, at one point, the somebody theorized that it was the Bell Witch doing it. I, I don't really think uh, I believe that, but that's just how far-reaching and popular the story became. Yeah, I don't think that it was aliens for once. Um, <laughs> I don't yeah. attribute this to aliens. But the million-dollar question is this. What did John Bell do? I mean, being a enslaver is pretty bad, though. Like, yeah. that's bad yeah. enough to deserve to be tormented like that. But, like, were other enslavers in the area tormented the same way? Like, what made nope. John Bell special to deserve this kind of treatment from whatever this thing was? And this thing had an axe to grind with him and his whole well- family. One of the things it would tell people on a regular basis is that John Bell is not a good man. Hmm. I wonder if he did something that we never found out about. You know, like back then, people could hide things a lot, probably a lot easier than they can now. Well, it's like up until relatively recently, like uh, I, I would say honestly about the 90s, all you had to do to get away with the crime was not be there when the police showed up. Like, <laughs> mm, yeah, that's pretty true. I mean, you look at any of the, um, you look at any of the stuff about the um, serial killers from like the seventies. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same type thing. Yeah, that, that's why we had such a rash of serial killers around that time. Is because like, uh, it, it was just there wasn't really forensics. Uh, Police stations didn't talk to each other. Uh, a lot of like within jurisdictions, let alone outside of states and stuff. Mm. It wasn't until actually like uh, the O.J. Simpson trial where they got like a little bit more serious with this kind of thing. Well, you can apparently visit the Bell Witch Cave. Um, they are about forty minutes outside of um, Nashville. In Adams, Tennessee, and um, they open for tours in May. So if you're interested in that, bellwitchcave.com. Yeah, but uh, that is the story of the Bell Witch that I've got for you. Now, there's a lot more to it, a whole lot more details that I can't really cover in, and there's kind of a lot of conflicting information, but. you know, that, that's what I presented for you here today. And I encourage anybody listening to, you know, look into it for yourself and uh, check it out. It's a, it's I think we should, I think we should have a seance to try to figure out what John Bell did. Ooh, to, boy. What, what made him not a good man. I think that that could be a definite project. And I think visiting down there might be kind of interesting. I'm all for it. Me too. Well, Bringing it back to Indiana, um, I'm going to talk about not an enslaver, but I'm going to talk about an abolitionist. That's the opposite. Um, yeah, the opposite. So that's it's really cool that you covered that because in Indiana, 
not too far from where you and I live, um, just up the street, really, yeah. is a house called the Hannah Mansion. Um, the Hannah Mansion can also be toured if you're interested. If you just Google Hannah Mansion, you'll find the website. Um, but it's on the south side of Indianapolis. It was actually built by a state legislator named Alexander Hanna in 1858. He was um, he was a leather worker, and he went out to California during the gold rush and made some money. And he came back, and he bought 300 acres from his father. Um, and so he owned quite a bit of the land on the south side. And he built this giant mansion for himself and his future family. He actually didn't get married until he was in his 50s. And um, throughout his time, you know, living there and tending the land, he became um, a member of the Underground Railroad. So, like, what that means is, I mean, I'm sure most people know what that was, but he would hide escaped enslaved people in his basement. So it was the winter time. Um, there were some slaves that were hiding in the basement and somehow a fire started. Some people say that, you know, an oil lamp got knocked over. Some people say it was done on purpose because they knew there were escaped enslaved people in there. And, you know, Indiana has not historically been super friendly to people of color, especially escaped enslaved people or black people. But, um, you know, what basically happened was there were some people hiding in the basement and they were killed. They, it, it burned and they died. Um, there are conflicting stories about what Alexander did with the bodies, but all the stories say that they were buried in the basement. Um, some people say that he wanted to like, hide them that they had died and for obvious reasons because he was doing something very illegal even in the north where we didn't have you know indiana was technically a free state but we were bordered by you know kentucky so in other states that were not free but some people say he buried them in the basement to keep it hush hush some people say he buried them in the basement because it was winter and like it's hard to dig you know frozen ground right uh, um but that is kind of one of the big things about that house is people say that those that died in that fire still haunt the place. Um, and Jordan and I here in a minute are going to talk about our experiences there. But like, I think that that's probably pretty accurate based on some of the things that the ghosts have told us about being buried on the property. Um, anyway, uh, Alexander Hanna died there in the home. So did his wife. So did his baby. Um, he passed away. And after he passed away, a German immigrant named Roman Oler bought the home in 1899. And according to their website, it still remains part of the Oler family. Um, and there, over time, like, people moved in and moved out. They made it, like, kind of a a boarding house situation and then it delayed um, totally vacant for a while. And then I know when Jordan and I were growing up, it was used as like a haunted house. Like, you know, in Halloween you would pay money and people would dress up, you know, like one of the fake haunted houses. Um, I've also known friends of mine who have rented the space out for like weddings and receptions and events and stuff. 
Um, but today the home is mostly open for like tours. You can still go and get tours there on weekends. And you can also rent it out for paranormal investigations, which is something that I would like to do. It's on my bucket list. Um, because I just think the house is so fascinating. Like some of my most insane encounters have happened in that house or not in the house, but near the house. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of like the start of our paranormal journey, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really kicks things off. So I'm going to talk about some of the creepiness of it now that you know the history. Um, people have told a lot of crazy stories about this place So, like, one of the stories that I've heard is that when you go in and you go up to one of the bedrooms, you can hear a baby crying really loud in one of the rooms. That's a pretty common story in a lot of haunted houses, but they attribute that to um, Alexander Hanna's child dying in the home um, because, you know, babies just didn't have a long life expectancy back then for various reasons, Um, And that's one of the ones that they say you can do, you can hear. Another experience that people claim that they've had is they've smelled rotting, burning flesh, particularly down in the basement. They can hear screams of people down in the basement. And then they can also smell like rose perfume when you go in there. And I can tell you too, from like my experience in haunted places, smell is a big part of it. Yeah, you get that um, a lot in whispers. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, you can room. smell. Smell is very big part of it. So I don't doubt that you can smell something. It's almost like easier for smell to manifest than anything else um, of the other senses. Uh, people have also said that they've seen Alexander Hannah before in the yard or on the porch waving at them as they drive by. And I can verify that because I have seen Alexander. I think it was Alexander Hannah sitting on the front porch when we were doing a ghost box session there. Do you remember that, Jordan? Uh, I sure do. Uh, I remember. I remember you took a picture of it, and uh, y- you could definitely see something. And it looked like they were sitting in a rocking chair on the porch. It was the yeah. middle of the day, too. Yeah, I will post that picture on our Instagram. It's actually a screen cap from the video. So Jordan and I always videotape our sessions. And I'll also link that um, somewhere so that you guys can see, like, see the video and listen to the session. But we always record our sessions. And I always just record it on using my phone camera. And sometimes I'll set the phone down in case I need to pick it up and record something, like in this case. But I remember in that session... Um, I had seen something on the porch and I wasn't sure, like we were far away. We were across the street in like a strip mall because we don't want to trespass on private property. Never do that. If you're investigating, just be safe, go somewhere that's close by, but public that you're allowed to be, that's safer. Um, you do not want the cops called on you. It is not worth it. But we were across the street and, um, Jordan was, relaying what he heard on the box and I saw something and I was like, is that you sitting on the porch? And Jordan said, yes. And I was like totally freaked out and I zoomed in and I could see it. And then the next minute it was gone. And I said, so are you gone now? And Jordan had said something that signaled like 
that they left, that they were gone. But it was so wild because it was like, I looked at pictures of the porch because I couldn't really see from where I was. And there's totally a rocking chair on the porch that other people have reported seeing a ghost like sitting there. And that's the only time I've seen like a ghost fully manifest in the physical, like a corporeal spirit. And I have it on video. Like I have evidence. It is hard to see because I'm far away as these things most often are. Um, But you can definitely tell that there's something there. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty wild. I remember looking at it like because uh, you were you're pretty shaken, honestly. And like you you pulled me out of the box because I, you know, I had the headphones on and my eyes closed and you were showing me the video and I was I was very surprised. Yeah, it was wild. Um, other experiences we've had there I, here. I'm going to kind of go into some of my personal theories like. Based on conversations we've had with spirits there, I think there is something that keeps them from talking to us sometimes. And I know we've kind of talked about this before. Yeah. But, like, I think that there's something there that tries to keep ghosts from talking to the living. Because I personally, like, this is personal gnosis completely. So, like, you know, your results may vary or your opinions may vary. Like, I think in every place where spirits are kind of concentrated or just anywhere, there's something there, a guardian spirit, an egregoric energy that does not want them talking to us because we're not supposed to be talking to them. I don't know why we're not supposed to be talking to them, but like, they just, whatever it is, does not want us talking to them. And that's been pretty much confirmed in all of our visits to the Hannah house. Like we haven't been there in a while. We probably need to go back soon. But um, every time we go there, we get a very friendly personality. This, this ghost kind of calls herself love. She's super sweet. Um, she told us once that she was like 21 years old when she died there. And she'll talk to us often. But she told us once that there's somebody there that doesn't want her talking to us. And sometimes she'll say, you need to leave because he's coming. Yeah. And I don't know if that's like that egregoric energy, if that's another spirit. I'm not sure what that means. What do you think, Jordan? I I, I think it it is something. It's something that was never necessarily human, that that's just its job to keep us away from them. And it isn't just the Hannah house. This happens like more or less everywhere. Yeah, like, that's true. Yeah, especially at whispers, but it's almost like you can have a conversation until uh, the other, for lack of a better term, until the other realizes that you're there and then it shows up and it, it, that's when you get like, you get the growling, you get the yelling, you get the name calling and like it, it's just tr- doing its best to try to make you leave. It, yeah, and it's, it tries to scare you. It really yeah. does. And you have to kind of be able to, when you do these things, tell the difference between the other and the actual spirits. Um, because, be yeah, spirits can be mean too, just like real people. We try to respect the spirits. The other doesn't really scare us as much. Um, we can, I, I can kind of tell when something is saying, you need to go, you need to leave, like, F you, like, calling me names and stuff. 
versus a spirit who's like, I don't want to talk anymore. And if the spirit says they don't want to talk anymore, then that's when it's time to go. Whenever we get name called and treated like crap, it's usually the other thing. And I don't really, I don't really, for lack of a better term, I don't really respect its wishes because it's trying to do its job and I'm never going to get answers if I can't break through. But sometimes it's so strong and pervasive that you may as well just call it a quits because it's not productive. Like the conversation is not productive because it just so far. Yeah. Because it just keeps cussing you out and you're just like, you know what? It's not going to leave. We'll cut it. And like, sometimes we'll try to restart the conversation. Um, but usually it's, that's usually when the session's over. What other things have you heard there, Jordan? I know you've heard some weird stuff on the box at the Hannah house. Uh, well, it's like you said, a lot of like the, the more active sessions we've had have been there. Um, I may have mentioned it before, but there, we were doing one where you were on the box and I was asking the questions and it was summer. So we were sitting there and had the windows rolled down and I had my arm out the window and it said, uh, I was, I was saying like, you know, how many fingers am I holding up? And it said, we see all of your large hands. I'm like, yep, my hands out the window. He's like, put it up. I put it up and I held up the fingers when I was holding up, uh, four fingers, I think. And I said four and like it it said four and I kind of freaked out and I said like, holy shit. And then it kind of like chastised me for cursing. It was like, you're kind of a lot. I remember I remember that. And I remember you being really freaked out. We always try to do that to see if they can actually see us. And sometimes they can and sometimes they can't. Um, but it's always been really fascinating to see if they can tell us what we're doing at the time. Um, another thing that's happened, I know, before when you've been on the box there is whistling. Yeah, the whistling. Like, doesn't the whistling freak you out a little bit? A little bit, yeah. What do you think that is? I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's it's a different kind of thing that's just messing with us. Uh, some sort of, like, trickster spirit. Because it, it's more like something that is just mischievous, but, like, maliciously mischievous, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. criminal mischief yeah <laughs> criminal mischief yeah and then you've gotten robotic sounds too like clicking and whirring before haven't you yeah that that is when when we get those that's what kind of like freaks me out the most is uh you know you get like a robot voice at, because it changes what you're hearing on the box because normally uh, you're picking out snippets at snippets of words as the box is flipping through channels. So it, it sounds like that. It sounds like you're picking up words from people saying them on the radio or out of a song or something. But when it, when you get the robot voice, it doesn't sound like that anymore. It sounds like a soundboard that someone is controlling. And I like, I really don't like that. <laughs> mm. What do you think that is? I, I don't know. I, I, I just, think it's I really aliens. Know. Yeah. Aliens. Yeah. Always aliens. I know. Always aliens. I like to mix aliens and ghosts, but 
I don't know. I just, the Hannah house has always fascinated me. I really want to go and investigate there. Um, but well, I'm going to leave some links for you guys to check it out yourselves. And I highly recommend if you're coming through Indy or if you're local, like you should check out the Hannah house. It's, it's definitely creepy and it's really pretty. And, um, oddly, it's just like a gorgeous house. The land that it's on is really nice too. And it's just, I don't know. It's interesting. It's always drawn me. For yeah. Things. And it's pretty cool. They have like a hidden a hidden staircase behind the bookshelf, which is like really neat. I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They try to play into the Underground Railroad vibes with that one. And I don't know, like the times that I've been in there, I never really got vibes per either. se. But I think that maybe it was because we were there for like a reception you know, yeah, it was like a happy event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's really cool. Um, and that's kind of my Midwestern ghost story. Although it's not as dramatic as the Bell Witch, it's still kind of neat local lore. And I, um, I think that people that have passed on are just drawn to their homes for obvious reasons. Like home is where they spent most of their time. It's where a lot of their essence is. It's where, you know, they they put a lot of energy into it, especially people like Alexander Hanna who built the home himself, you yeah. know, like, and it was his father's land before that. So it just has great significance and it would make total sense that he would haunt there in his afterlife. Absolutely. I think that's it for this episode. Um, I, want to thank you guys for listening if you have a story or anything that you want to submit please hit us up on instagram whispers underscore through underscore the underscore veil um is our screen name or you can yeah we want to hear some of your stories no one submitted anything yet which kind of makes me sad so if you have any creepy stories turn them in um, if you have topic ideas, let us know. Some people have given us some ideas. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, we'll be back hopefully soon with another episode. Yeah. Uh, uh, again, sorry guys about like the long delay on this one. Uh, life just kind of happens and things get busy, but uh, we're not ready to give up yet. Uh, if we ever get to the point where we're going to stop the podcast, we'll let you know uh we'll say like hey this is the last episode but until that happens expect more it's just uh taking some time yeah and you know just keep up on our instagram and we'll keep you updated on what's going on well i think that's the end of it so until next time be careful Have fun. Have fun. Be careful. Sorry. Booty butt, booty butt, booty butt. Until next time, have fun. Be careful. Bye.